think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this. There is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddler's in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth, and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Birds are singing. The sun is out. Spring has sprung. Has your wardrobe followed suit? If not, you can get a refresh with Bombas, my favorite brand for socks, tees, and underwear that also has an amazing mission that we support wholeheartedly. Because for every incredible comfy item that I get from Bombas, they match with a donation to someone who is unhoused. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash hard things and use code hard things for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash hard things and use code hard things at checkout. And it took some time, but I'm finally fine. Welcome to We Can Do Hard Things. We're about to fix your life right in time for the holidays, okay? Right in time for these holidays, we have with us, I think we're going to call her today the matron saint of the holidays because she is going to help us deal with emotionally immature people or as we call them, people. (laughs) So... Without further ado, I introduce you to Lindsay C. Gibson. I met your work through my dear friend, Ashley Ford, who I think is the patron saint of you because she is like an evangelist for all of your work. She swears that your work about how to deal with emotionally immature uh, parents has changed her life. I can see why now having been immersed in your work for the last few weeks. Lindsay C. Gibson is an author and a clinical psychologist. She's been a psychotherapist for 30 years. She has written several books, including Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents and Disentangling from Emotionally Immature People. Dr. Gibson specializes in therapy and coaching with adults to attain new levels of personal growth and confidence in dealing with emotionally immature people. So what I want to start with is if a person's listening right now who has never heard of this term, emotionally immature people or emotionally immature parents, I think what for me has been so interesting is there are people in your life, when you're with them, you feel crazy in one way or another. Mm -hmm. You have kind of figured out this type of person, which is neither good nor bad. It's just 
is, who maybe is, would you call it stunted in the emotional sense? And so creates havoc in relationships. Tell us how you came to this understanding that there is something called an emotionally immature person or parent. Yeah. Well, I guess there were two phases of discovering that. One was that in my early training, I I was lucky enough uh, to have gotten a lot of training in child development Mm -hmm. and in understanding, quote unquote, psychopathology in terms of what has gone wrong in a person's development Mm. psychologically. So I didn't come from the school of let's figure out the the diagnostic category to put this person in and pretend we understand all Mm. about them now. Let's look at how their behavior and their problems are really coming from a different developmental place Mm. uh, earlier probably in their lives. So I did a lot of psychological evaluations doing testing where I would have to interpret the test results according to uh, what was developmentally expected. Okay. So I knew what a three-year-old's responses looked like. I knew what a 10-year-old's responses looked like. And so when I was uh, testing adults, I was always looking through that lens. Mm. So I was prepared (laughs) early on to have this uh, orientation. But then in psychotherapy, a number of years ago, I was listening to people and thinking to myself, uh, just kind of idly, you know, like like her husband sounds like a Mm four-year-old or her dad is acting like a Mm 15-year-old. And one day I just decided to share that with my client. I say, you know, his behavior really sounds like a little kid's. Mm. Like that's what little kids do. They throw a tantrum or they insist on having their way. And they say, yes, yes. And I'd say, well, you know, it sounds like their psychological development didn't keep pace with their body development and their their intellectual development. Mm. So what do you think? I mean, is this typical of him in other areas of his life? And we would get into these uh, discussions and it was so helpful to them Mm. because essentially what I did was when I said that was I took this, this big, scary person Mm -hmm. who's dominating and intimidating or manipulating or whatever it is. And I'm saying, Hey, that's little kid behavior. Ah. Okay. This is not the alpha gorilla. Mm -hmm. This is a four-year-old who's not getting their way. Mm Mm-hmm. And that really helped to shift something in them in the way that they approached the whole situation with that person. And it makes it easier to understand because one of the reasons why it's hard to identify emotional immaturity is that's just one strain of maturity. So a person can be highly intellectually mature, highly socially mature, so they can look like and be a highly functioning person. And yet this part of their life, their emotional maturity has stopped at a certain point. So you started noticing that a lot of people actually were have been raised by people who might have a lot of intellectual maturity, might have a lot of social maturity, but do not have emotional maturity. And that takes a toll on the child. Yes. Yes, it does. And what happens is that Maybe the, I mean, who knows, really? I mean, we, we don't have any research that, that can go back in time and see what happened to these people. But just 
from what I know about trauma and how it interrupts, you know, trauma or neglect, uh, how it interrupts people's emotional development, you can kind of guess that these people are acting as though they've had some pretty bad experiences in their past Mm -hmm. and they have gotten uh, ultra defensive, Mm -hmm. very well defended against a number of things. They're not being bad people. They're not being evil people. It's just that when you get too close to something that reminds them of a time in their life when they really felt extremely helpless or even felt like they were on the edge of the existential cliff, like, Mm. you know, non-being is staring into their soul, um, you get anywhere near that kind of feeling and you're going to put up a defense whether you want to or not. Mm -hmm. Because we have automatic psychological coping mechanisms that keep us from going into overwhelming situations, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm. So when these parents, in this case, begin to move into that territory with their child, and kids are like always triggering (laughs) emotional stuff because they're so emotional, right? Right. Yeah. So when they get anywhere near it, they start putting up these defenses. Mm. And if you don't understand what's going on and you're on the receiving end of that, it just feels to you uh, very threatening and very hard to handle and, mm. and makes you feel crazy, like you said. So we have to understand that, you know, these are people that in some ways are acting as though they're fighting for their lives, uh, no holds barred. And it's because, I think, it's because they're getting near some kind of awful feeling, probably associated with abuse or neglect but could also be because they may have had intrinsic difficulties handling emotion. I mean, neurologically, physiologically, they could have been born with trouble regulating their own emotional systems. That's, mm. that's another way of thinking about it. But whatever it is, they don't do real well with intimate relationships and emotional arousal. Wow. So if you're going to paint a picture for someone who's like, this feels kind of familiar, Mm -hmm. but tell me what it looks like in practice, like operationalize an emotionally immature person. I know you have a a set of characteristics that generally show up in people like this, but can you flesh that out a little bit for, for people so they can kind of see if they can recognize their experience there? Sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it. Um, from the standpoint of of what your experience would be and how you might guess that you had been around one of them. Usually what people feel around emotionally immature people is, is kind of a, it's kind of a combination of being bored and being irritated because emotionally immature people tend to keep a very superficial level of interaction going and it tends to be very, very self-centered. Mm. So these are people that talk a lot about nothing, <laughs> or they talk a lot about themselves, or you feel like you can't get a, a word in edgewise to try to you know, reciprocate or have a two-way conversation mm-hmm. because they're packing the air with their need to be the most important person in that interaction. That's Mm -hmm. kind of their guiding principle, okay? And so you are being asked to fit yourself into what they need you to be 
so that they can feel better about themselves. Mm. Um, and lots of times that means turning you into an audience mm. or assuming that you think exactly the way they do. So they say tactless or insulting things and don't even realize it mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're sure you're just like them. And it's boring because there's no spark going on. There's no yeah. interaction mm-hmm. that is that is lifting your spirits or making you feel any kind of real connection, or even that you're talking about something meaningful. Mm-hmm. Because emotionally mature people feel better if things are kind of on the surface, and they're very, very fond of cliched kinds of soundbite uh, speech. <laughs> when you're saying that, like, it is boring, and it is dull, and it is one way, I am the receiver, until that is challenged mm-hmm. and then it is anything but boring because isn't it like then then that person's very selfhood in that moment is challenged if you are bucking that if you are pushing that if you're not just the dutiful audience like what then does that turn into it's double edged right dull until it's unless until it's pressure tested and then it's not dull because that person's fighting for themselves and you are going to lose. Mm-hmm. But you call yeah. that egocentrism, right? That's the first hallmark yes. characteristic. Egocentrism. Yes. That's all the things you just described. The audience, the performer, the control of the and, and the no letting go of control in order to have a back and forth sinking into a moment. You're not ever really making progress with them. You're just a in the audience. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. You're not making progress with them and you're not being received by them. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're not looking for input from you. They're looking for you to be their audience. Right. Yeah. And you can see like uh, from what I described that that they're, they also have this fear of intimacy, mm-hmm. um, emotional intimacy. And that means that, you know, when you're emotionally intimate with someone, you're telling them about yourself, what you really feel, um, who you are, and they're doing the same back. And you come away from those encounters feeling like, wow, I really know this person now, or, or I really felt seen. Mm-hmm. And that is inherently energizing to a human being to relate at that level. It's actually the right hemisphere of the brain resonating and attuning with the other person's right hemisphere of the brain. Mm, interesting. I say that because I just want you to know that it's physically hardwired into us to not only enjoy that, but to get energy from that. Wow. So we have our, our built-in batteries with each other if we can relate at that level. And that's why it feels so boring talking to them because wow. their, their fear of intimacy is holding them back from really allowing themselves to go into that kind of connection. Wow. And it's energy provoking. That's That's so so fascinating. fascinating. Okay, so that is egocentrism, fear of intimacy. You have poor self-reflection. That's category two. Talk to us about that. Poor self-reflection is the thing that makes it so they don't change. Like a, a very frequent question is, can they ever change? Can the emotionally immature person change? And it's like, well, anybody can change if they're willing to ask themselves, you know, am I a part of the problem? What am I doing here that's causing this difficulty? Mm. Maybe I need to step back and look at what I said, or maybe I need to imagine, 
you know, what this was like for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's self-reflection. I can stand apart from myself, look at my own behavior, reflect on it, and then maybe I come up with an idea that I said something wrong. And then maybe I'll go back and attempt a repair by apologizing or sharing empathy for my tactless remark or, you know, whatever it is. But that ability is so crucial to any kind of relationship, Mm. you know, to be able to reflect on your own behavior so that you can see it from the other person's point of view. And you can see how Mm. if you have trouble with that, you are going to have trouble with your relationships Mm -hmm. because this leads to another characteristic. You are not able to have empathy for how they may have experienced what you did or said. Mm. So that combination of poor self-reflection and poor empathy, you know, just right away takes away some central tools of good relationships. And then the fear of emotional intimacy takes away another one. So now we're talking about someone who either has to have a pretty stereotyped relationship that's very rule bound. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to be in a relationship in which they feel like they're right all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's not questioned. And they have to feel like that they're going to be safe because they have control. Yes. Uh, They have control over other people. They have control over circumstances. And of course, a person who is lacking in these abilities needs a great deal of control over other people mm-hmm. because they don't have that ability to finesse it with the social skills mm. that an adequately mature person automatically has. Mm-hmm. I love this quote that of yours that it seems to encapsulate all of those qualities when you said that the, the motive of an emotionally immature person is basically, I can't do it on my own. So I need you to adopt my perspective, my sense of self that like, I can't reflect and decide that I could have done something different. I can't um, see anything from your perspective. I am like drowning and you need to come over with me and you need to adopt my sense of self this is the only way. And I think that's so interesting because when that happens so early, can you talk about like when that happens so early, when you are a very young person growing up in this environment where you need to join an emotionally immature person from where they are and therefore you don't get to have your own independent sense of self, what that looks like as a child and what you start to look like as an adult when that is so formative to you when you're young? Yeah. Let's start with the idea that, that like emotionally immature people create a certain kind of relationship system Mm -hmm. on the basis of their needs as emotionally underdeveloped people. Okay. The emotionally immature relationship system is just what we're in with children all the time. Um, It's a system where you have one person who is not able to emotionally regulate their own emotional stability and equilibrium, and they're not able to regulate their own self-esteem. They're completely dependent on another person to do that with them and for them, okay? Um, As you 
mature and you get older and uh, you become a more emotionally mature person, you are better able to, you know, keep your cool, maintain your equilibrium when things are going wrong or somebody says the wrong thing to you or looks at you cross-eyed, you know, whatever it is, you don't lose your stuff because you're able to do these internal actions that allow you to cope with it. But if you're emotionally immature, you can't do that. And you feel like you're coming apart. Mm. You feel like you're just losing your ability to cope. Mm. And with your self-esteem, you don't really, because you don't have a solid sense of self, if you're that emotionally immature, so, you know, self develops over the lifetime. Mm -hmm. But in early childhood and middle childhood, the self really is in a very accelerated developmental path so that you get that sense of self, like, like this is who I am. Emotionally immature people have not developed that to the degree that they need to. And so they always feel kind of shaky about who they are and are they worth anything? Mm -hmm. You know, are they good? They really don't have a sense of self. And so it's very easy for them to have low self-esteem or have that very, very thin skin because they don't have that inner feeling of self that would kind of say, no, you're okay. We know who we are. Yeah. Um, we know what we feel. We're, mm -hmm. we're good people here. Mm -hmm. They're not able to do that. So they depend on other people to do that for them. And they actually wow. suck you into it. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that makes, you know, to go back to the thing about if you're in a conversation with one of them, how, how would you know? Another characteristic that they would show you would be that you would be drained. Mm -hmm. You would feel exhausted after that conversation because it would feel like someone just, you know, turned the tap and all the energy ran out of you hmm. because they need your attention as a kind of energy to fuel their own stability and their own self-esteem. And when you're doing that for two people at once, mm. it's exhausting. Yep. Mm. It's exhausting. So an interaction between two people should be like you're charging each other, like a battery yeah, back yeah. and forth. You're charging each other. But with an emotionally immature person, it's like you're the gas tank and they're the car and you just don't yes. get anything back and you're just <laughs> getting sucked analogy. out. And that's why after it, you're like, I was not charged. I just was sucked from. Yes, and, exactly. And that's because there's exactly. actually something that's supposed to happen between two emotionally mature people. So this is the energy vampire, the all the different things we call people. You're saying that type of person is very likely an emotionally immature person. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations and multiple systems, the more margin you have and the more of your hard-earned money you get to keep. But with higher expenses than ever on things like materials and distribution, everything just costs more. That's why smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. You'll reduce IT costs, you'll cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you'll improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks 
end errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move and expenses don't slow down. So why should you? By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hard things. netsuite.com slash hard things. That's netsuite.com slash hard things. It's hard to find a great mentor who can help me level up. My dream mentor, Stephen Curry, Simone Biles, episode 38. I was really excited that they have a class on Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, computer, or even in audio mode. If you want to improve your physical and mental well-being, or if you want to build stronger relationships with renowned psychotherapist Esther Perel, go to Masterclass. Esther Perel's class has really been helping me build stronger relationships, and my friend Robin Roberts's class is helping me really expand my communication skills on the podcast and also in life. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash hard things. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash hard things. Is any of this generational? I feel like a lot of my friends would identify their parents as emotionally immature people. Is there any part of this that's like, well, this generation was before Oprah was telling us to live our best lives. It was before (laughs) people were like, you know, therapying all over the place and emotional maturity was not a focus of a certain generation. Like, is it, is any of it generational? Or like our parents' generation was raised by parents who used to beat the crap out of each other. Exactly. Is it not their fault in some way? Is it, are we evolving towards emotional maturity in other words? Yeah, I think we are. Because I think emotional maturity begets emotional maturity. Mm-hmm. If you can think of other people, if you can be empathetic, if you can self-reflect, you know, all these um, more mature qualities, and you do that with your children, your children are going to be able to develop their sense of self and develop their own uh, emotional maturity as a result of that. Yes. The problem with that is... <sighs> That yes, when people have been mistreated and they've turned out emotionally immature as a result of that, they can pass that down to their children. And so it can be generational. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But like what's happened in this country, you know, maybe in the past, maybe 30 years, is that people have had access to all kinds of... I would call it consciousness raising Mm -hmm, things, mm -hmm. Um, you know, Glennon's book, (laughs) book, um, you know, helping people to do these very things, think about themselves, think about their relationships, self-reflect, have empathy for others, understand how other people work and, and their own personalities work. So there's been a tremendous blooming of awareness Mm -hmm. about psychological issues and the impact of certain kinds of interactions on people and their psyches. Mm -hmm. So 
maybe that came about when Dr. Spock encouraged people not just to, you know, change their diapers, but to think about the child's experience Mm. and to think about the effects psychologically on the child of how you speak to them and how you hold them and how you treat them. That was a big foreign concept. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you know, we just know all of that. Mm -hmm. But I think there's been a tremendous explosion in Mm self-help. Aside from the psychology part of it, there's been a tremendous explosion in awareness of human rights that's gone on probably since after World War II. There's been this awareness that what happens to people inside is huge and it really matters. Mm -hmm. It's real that people suffer and it's real that people feel disrespected or dishonored. That's not a made up thing. Mm -hmm. So those two things, the explosion of self-help, the increase in in awareness of human rights, I think has propelled us toward being more aware of emotional maturity. However, I will say that all you have to do is look at the news and realize that the people who are reading the books and doing the work and spreading the word, you know, are probably a fairly small yes. percentage of the world population and through no fault of anybody's own, just that we have the resources and the abilities to raise, you know, our consciousness, or we've had good parenting ourselves or, you know, but yeah, the emotional immaturity in the world, I think is still pretty high. Yeah. (laughs) I just think that's a really important point. Like I just had like this wave of compassion that hit me around the privilege that so many of us who are trying to become emotionally mature, whether it's through therapy, all of these methods, I think it's really important just to remember that not everybody has the same kind of access and privilege to be able to want to or find the resources for emotional maturity. It allows you to look at it. It's like, okay, it's not our fault, but it's still our problem. Yeah. And that's what I want to get to next. When you are raised by an emotionally immature parent, regardless of whether it's their fault that they were that, we can release that, like the faulting of of it all. What, as a child, if you are raised by a parent who is egocentric, who has all of these defenses, who has effective realism, who has poor empathy, what happens to you as a child? You, you talk about two routes we can take as an internalizer or an externalizer, right? Mm-hmm. So talk to us about that experience as a child and then how you might know that you are an adult child of an emotionally immature person. What might show up in your life? As you can imagine, little children need their parents to be able to uh, see them, help them understand what feelings are, help them understand themselves. I mean, these are all things that, you know, little children need. And, And they don't just get it from their parents. I mean, they get it from, you know, other adults. They get it from teachers, even their peers. But The problem with the family that has emotionally immature parents is that their kids end up having to supply that empathy, that uh, resonance to the parent. Mm. And it typically is done out of fear. Mm -hmm. Okay. In other words, if I try to be very empathic toward my mom, 
because she's likely to, you know, blow a gasket and get very volatile if things don't go her way. Now, I'm being empathic. Um, I'm being very concerned about her. And that's good because I'm building empathy and I'm I'm a sensitive little kid. But it's not good for me Mm -hmm. because I'm having to pull out of an undeveloped personality a level of empathy and effort that I'm really not prepared to make. So that's why a lot of adult children of emotionally mature parents feel tired all the time um, <laughs> because they, they keep doing that in their relationships automatically, you know, very vigilant about what the other person needs because that was how they started life. That's how they learned what, what life was about. Hmm. So it's very tiring. It, it makes it so that that child approaches problems feeling initially very overwhelmed because, you know, they haven't been helped to, you know, kind of grow up and and develop coping mechanisms with a parent who protects them from being overwhelmed and teaches them how to deal with problems. Instead, that parent is more likely the source of the overwhelm, okay? Mm -hmm. So that kid grows up in a kind of a outwardly over mature way, like they can handle anything. Mm-hmm. Their friends come to them with their problems. You call them old souls. They get, yeah. they're the oh, ones that call old you. souls. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Old soul. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Old yep, soul. yep. The problem is that they're not old souls. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're kids who had to grow up, grow up too fast. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to be aware of is how deceptive um, it can look on the outside. This adult child would look like a person who had it all together. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the one on whom other people depend. But inside, they may feel like they are caving or like they really don't know what to do, but they can't show anybody that they don't know what to do. They just have to figure everything out on their own. Mm-hmm. So, when you're thinking about how would you know uh, if you were a person like this, an adult child, I think it would be that feeling of I had to grow up too fast. I, I was overwhelmed and yet I still had to cope. I still had to be the one that took care of things. And I felt emotionally lonely. Mm-hmm. That's a huge piece of it. Mm. because. You don't have a parent who's capable of empathizing with your emotional experiences. Yeah. They're not interested in it. They don't care to talk about it. They tell you you're going to be okay. Um, They tell you not to worry about it. But they can't go in there and sit with you Mm. um, and be with you in it in a resonant, empathic way. They just can't bring themselves to do that. And is it because they're afraid? They're afraid, right? What is the part where you say they're very afraid of big feelings, of big expressions of intimacy or expression of feeling emotionally immature parent can't handle, which I think is so interesting because kids blame themselves for that, right? You say that if a kid shows a parent their most vulnerable self and their parent can't handle that and shuts it down for some reason, then the kid learns 
the most real part of me is not attractive to my parents. There must be something wrong with me. Right. So when you have a parent who is afraid of emotional intimacy, the kid thinks the most real part of me is shameful. There must be something right. wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me. Is that a hallmark of an adult child of an emotionally immature parent is someone who constantly thinks that there's something yes. wrong with the realist part of them? Yes. Yeah. That's really well said because. Well, you um, said it. I just that, quoted that from you. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, you nailed that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yes, there is that feeling. I mean, when we all get that feeling, yeah. like if we're, if we're really upset and maybe we call a friend or, you know, we uh, run into somebody and we download on them because we're so upset about something. And the other person just doesn't respond mm -hmm. with much interest or emotion. We feel, too, like there's something wrong with us. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the ch it's not because the, the child is overly sensitive mm -hmm. or it's because they're a child. It's because they're a human being. Mm -hmm. And when we get like a blank face or a startled face, or a face that looks like, I don't know what you're talking about, it makes us feel like, oh, there must be something wrong with me, or I said the wrong thing, you know, because you're trying to get a sense of control of the situation. Yeah. And you're frantically trying to figure out how did I create this bad connection? Okay. Mm. But if the person is emotionally immature, then there's probably going to be uh, not so great connection anyway. And that's where that feeling comes from. Hmm. But the other thing that emotionally immature people do is they do this moral judgment thing on other people. It can be very subtle. It can be very overt. But the message is that I have a need and you better fill it for me and you better do it quick because I need it right now. And if you don't, then you're bad. So when an emotionally immature person comes across your boundary and they, you know, do something that uh, is asking you to go against what's best for you and serve them, they're doing it in a morally obligated way. Oof. In other words, you will feel like it's up to you to meet their need. And if you don't, that you're a bad person. Mm -hmm. Now, here we go to the internalizer type of adult child. The internalizing type of person will take that to heart in a big way. Okay. They'll be like, oh, you know, did I, I did, you know, I, I did that. I, I made the, you know, I was selfish. Uh, oh, I should have self-sacrificed. I didn't respond quickly enough. I wasn't generous enough because the internalizing personality looks inside themselves and tries to uh, not only figure out what they did wrong, but they try to understand what they need to do to fix it. They're always trying to improve themselves, always trying to, you know, catch it before it gets out there mm -hmm. uh, with other people. And so that internalizing, it's a skill, really, but it makes a person take in the projections of the emotionally immature person in a way that, you know, really makes them feel terrible mm -hmm. about themselves. 
mm-hmm. and lets the emotionally immature person completely off the hook. Mm. Now, there's another type of personality, the externalizer, and they just, you know, basically blame everybody for everything that happens to them. Mm. Everything gets kicked out uh, as soon as it comes in so that it's always somebody else's fault. Hmm. And you can imagine uh, a lot of uh, emotionally immature people are like that. Mm -hmm. And so if you have an internalizer child who's taking stuff in, questioning themselves, trying to learn, trying to understand themselves, and then you have an externalizing parent who says, I didn't do anything. It's your fault. Mm -hmm. You're the problem. You know, that's like a terrible combination. Yeah. Because it all flows into the heart of the person who, you know, is least defended um, against that kind of distortion Mm -hmm. because they're ready to learn. They're ready to change. They're self-reflecting. The weather's getting warmer, which is wonderful because we can say bye-bye to big bulky sweaters and jackets and hello to shorts and tees. I just ordered three of Quince's muscle tanks. Check out their European linen shirt dress. I got it in the blue and white stripes. Classic. It's beautiful and summery and gorgeous and linen, and it was less than $50. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince cuts out the costs of the middleman and passes the savings to us. But they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. You will love all of it. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash hard things for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash hard things to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash hard things. Single-handedly impacting our environment for the better, that's a daunting task. But it's possible, and there are incredible people who are living proof that setting your mind to something and really being passionate about it will bring about change. The Goldman Environmental Prize is the world's foremost award honoring grassroots environmental activists. Each year, the prize honors six ordinary people who are making an extraordinary impact for the planet. If you look at this year's winners, you'll learn about Marcel Gomez, who exposed the links between a company's meatpacking practices and illegal deforestation, which led to a major boycott of that company's products. Amazing. You'll learn about Andrea Vidalre, whose relentless leadership resulted in California adopting its most ambitious emissions reduction regulations in history. And there are more amazing stories to discover I can't imagine stories more important than these. Find the stories of this year's prize winners at goldmanprize.org. I'm 47. And what I think is so interesting about my group of friends who are all my same age is that many of us just started to understand that we may have been raised by emotionally immature people. And I I think that this is a very uh, common thing, right? Like you're a kid and you you're, you can't see it because you're dependent upon these people. You'd rather decide that you're bad than your parents are 
inadequate because then the world's unsafe if you decide that they're bad. But then this thing happens where we get older and catalysts make us unable to tolerate the thing anymore. For example, we might see our our parents start being the way they were when we were younger with our kids. Mm. Suddenly we're like, oh, hell no. Right. right? I may not be real, but they, my they, kid is real and you can't treat them that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like big events happen and we have now our adult consciousness. You say like, like weddings or it's, big events might happen that showcase this emotional immaturity in a way we haven't seen it before. This is what keeps happening to my friends right now. It's like, I've said this a million times, but I'm, it could be the, the cartoon that is the theme of this podcast, which is a, a New Yorker cartoon where there's a man laying on a a therapist's couch. And he says to the therapist, I had a hard childhood, especially lately. And he's like 60. (laughs) And it's like, oh shit. (laughs) Wait. And so it's like this, I see dead people moment where you look back on your life and you're like, and and that's what happens. Right. And is it true that maybe emotionally immature parents also are okay with raising small kids because it's small kid with small kid. And then suddenly the kid gets older and is developing in, in maturity and that, and the parents not keeping up. I really think there's something to that. I have wondered about that so much. Like, why is it that uh, the child's able to grow up with a parent who got stuck in their own emotional development? How, how does that even happen? Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, Tiffany Root, has the the theory that the child who does the best, you know, like you can have one or two kids in a large family and they do great and everybody else is just, you know, barely scraping along. Mm-hmm. And she, her idea was that that the kid who's doing great was tagged to be the caretaker for the parents. And so they overdevelop their adult side, so to speak, and really, you know, step in as like a third parent or they become the parent's confidant mm. um, or, you know, their their advisor, um, that kind of thing. Hmm. It's a very weird kind of way to, to grow up. But the emotionally immature parent, because they get kind of stuck, they don't understand what it is that their kids need. And so they end up, you know, getting upset with the child when the child does show needs and they make the child feel ashamed for needing to turn to them. Mm -hmm. That's another big problem. Hmm. So what do you see happening next when a person finally goes, wait, what, there's some kind of catalyst where they are reading your work or they're, and they're looking and thinking, oh my gosh, I think I may have been raised by an emotionally immature person. What happens next? Is there, is there a confrontation? A <laughs> is there like what do you see most likely happen when a say a person is like Eureka? I have been raised as by an emotionally immature person, so now I will fix it. Mm-hmm. Not what should happen because we're going to do a whole another episode on that. Right? But what usually what does, does happen? happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting how how this works, but. You know, so many of the comments that I've gotten back from readers have said things like, you said what I've known all along, or you put into words what I couldn't, or 
uh, how did you meet my mother? Or how did you get in our house and our living room to see what goes on? <laughs> you know, you're describing exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So when you get that kind of eureka moment, it's like someone is reflecting and putting into words your exact experience. Yeah. And you no longer feel crazy or like Mm -hmm. you're exaggerating things or like you're making stuff up just to get sympathy. I mean, all of a sudden, everything makes sense. So that eureka moment in these cases was only coming from reading a book. What I'm trying to say Mm -hmm. is that it's been so important to people just to have these ideas. Yeah. Mm And to describe what they've gone through, mm-hmm. I don't get the message so much like, oh, my God, what do I do now? I, I get that about the relationship with the parent, of course, because that's a practical issue that we can have some ideas about. But it's almost like they got what they needed mm. by just hearing about it. I get that. And by feeling like, oh, this, this, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. All this stuff that I've sensed all this time has a name and it has uh, a reality. And I, yeah, I haven't been crazy. I haven't been selfish. So the Eureka almost, almost takes care of itself. It's, it's so transformational Yeah, it is just to get the right concepts. Mm -hmm. That's how we deal with reality. Mm-hmm. is we experience it. Somebody says, oh, that's called this or that. And we have a sense of it clicking, you know, and we're like, oh, that's what that's called. That's, yes. you know, that's how I am. That's what I am. Yes. And it, that very process strengthens you yep. in a way that is just phenomenal. Yeah. So I really have not had a lot of people say, um, yeah, what, yeah, that's nice, but what do I do about it? It's almost like just by reading about it and acknowledging yourself and having that kind of self-empathy and self-knowledge, mm-hmm. they've already done what they needed to do about it. Wow. Yeah. It's like the answer to the attachment injury, because if the whole idea of attachment, like Dr. Becky Kennedy says, like it's the child asking, am I real? Am I safe? Do I matter? And if throughout when you're being raised by an emotionally immature person, that you're getting no's to all of those answers. And then to read the experience from you, it is affirming. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, you are real. That was real. Those things happened to you. You were right to notice those things. You matter. You can make yourself safe. That is such huge work to heal that attachment injury that you had growing up. We're going to come back because we're going to talk about practical things that we can do next. Let's go. If we we (laughs) are, because I I feel like what you're saying too is the eureka moment of maybe I was raised by, if you're an internalizer, part of it is so freeing because, and it's directional. It's like, for me, an internalizer might, you know, spend 30 years in therapy trying to figure out what's wrong with them because their whole life they've been wondering what's wrong with them. What's Mm -hmm. wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. It's, it's a directional shift too, right? Like it's like, 
maybe that's not the only work. Maybe there's work I need to do to get this relationship boundaryed because maybe what's wrong is not always been what's wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with this dynamic. So let's come back to a part two and talk about what do we do after the eureka moment? What do we do when we find ourselves entangled through parent-kid relationship, through friendship, through work, through marriage, God help us, with an emotionally immature person? What next? We can do hard things. Pod Squad, come back to figure out what's next. We love you. If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to us if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do these three things. First, can you please follow or subscribe to We Can Do Hard Things? Following the pod helps you because you'll never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. To do this, just go to the We Can Do Hard Things show page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and then just tap the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner or click on follow. This is the most important thing for the pod. While you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and review and share an episode you loved with a friend, we would be so grateful. We appreciate you very much. We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. I give you Tish Melton and Brandy Carlisle. I walked through fire, I came out the other side. I chased desire, I made sure I got what's mine. I continue to Adventurers and heartbreaks on that
you've never been